save our wildlife, save the environment, save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with L.A. Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning and welcome to Our Wild World. So much has been happening so very rapidly to our planet and our global politics, when headline after headline is telling us it's time to freak out. True, it's going to take all of us participating to put pressure on the brakes and come together. And we begin doing this by seeking knowledge and talking to others, understanding where to put our efforts, and finding balance in everyday life. In that vein, I welcome back Stephen Capra. And today we're going to throw ideas out there and cover a wide range of challenges and how we can participate in how seemingly separate issues do tie in and reflect upon each other. Welcome back, Stephen. Great to be here, Ellie. It's always great. You know, I'm I'm in the mood for a great conversation and, you know, the elections are over and it's not exactly what we were expecting, but it's not just the USA that seems to be on hell-bent on the crazy train. It seems this whole idea of um, gross domestic product and using up the resources is on, on just about every global political leader's agenda from what's going on in South America and Brazil to what's going on here to even what's going on in Africa. So today I thought we could cover issues that are currently under political stress and, you know, people stress and facing, you know, what's facing and challenging our biodiversity, outdoor ethics, and as always, what folks can do to ensure our public lands are not open to special interests and what we can do to turn this crazy train around a bit. So we've talked before on wolf issues, of which you're very uh, informed about, and one of the headlines of late is that uh, in Washington, they're about to kill, again, a wolf pack, and it has a lot to do with vested interests, special interests of livestock and wildlife. Can you tell us a little bit about why and where you think that's headed? Well, I think uh, what we're seeing in Washington is reflective of what we continue to see around the West, and that is uh, the rancher uh, influence outweighing that of conservation ethic. And uh, the rancher influence in Washington is surprisingly strong, um, given, given, this, given the fact that that state is so progressive in many ways. But I think what I've come to understand very clearly in Washington state is there's sort of a protective ring around the governor, Jay Inslee. Uh, Inslee wants to run for president. Uh, he's a progressive Democrat in many ways, but his inner circle keeps a hard ring around him and prevents him from getting, I think, the best information on wolf and wolf recovery in his state. And I think that's because they don't view this issue as something they want him to get that engaged in. Uh, they want to keep him free for better ideas like what he was attempting to do with uh, 1631, which was to to sit there and 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 put a carbon tax on things. They want to view him as a progressive that way, and they they kind of look at issues like wolves as getting in the weeds. 
And that's a, a big mistake. Um, well, you know, it is when you consider what wolves do for a landscape. I mean, we can talk again about what they've done for Yellowstone and, you know, reintroducing wolves in in the corridor of wolf habitat from the southern border of the U.S. all the way up to Canada. So why is this issue being slid off as not important and just a wolf thing versus part of an ecosystem-wide service? You know, I think part of this turns into, and this is kind of a a broad comparison, but uh, the Republican Party's done a great job of always acting as though they're the party of the military. And you've seen Democratic presidents bend over backwards to support the military and to fund the military, and yet they don't seem to get the credit for it. And I think what we see here is uh, a situation where um, you know, Democrats view this as something that they're not wanting to get too involved in. They don't want to fall into sort of a slippery slope. And you see it with a lot of estates that are involved. I mean, we've got Tammy Baldwin. Uh, we've got people like uh, Amy Klobuchar up in Minnesota, who, you know, a lot of people are saying could make a presidential run. They have Jay Inslee in the West. And what do they have in common? Um, they're Democrats who some view as progressive, who take a, 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 the wrong stand on wolves. And you sit there and you go, wow, you know, I would expect that from some Republican leadership. But what it is, is these Democrats are trying in their own way to reach out to the ranching community and try to, that's a way in which they view their ability to hold office in those states. They view it as saying, yeah, I'm going to be progressive on these issues, but then I'm going to sit back and I'm going to support ranchers and farmers on other issues. This is the bone they continue to throw. And... Well, ranching, let's let's stop one second. Ranching and farming are two very different things in the West. Well, they're, they're very different things in the West. I guess I'm pointing out more the Midwest where I get into some of the crossovers uh, with mid- Midwestern wolves getting into both farming and ranching activities. Okay. Um, I think what I see here is that we just continue to have a problem of people understanding the basic role and importance of biodiversity. So we can go on all day about the politics, which I was starting to do, but I think we get back to one core issue, and that is the right of wildlife to live freely in our society and our ability as humans to share those common grounds with wildlife and our responsibility as humans to respect their right to live. And on that, we get an F. We continue to fail. And, and what, what I think could be, and you're always asking what can we do, what could be a silver lining, what are things that we can look towards. I'd like to point out New Mexico is a place where maybe, and I'm saying maybe, I'm underlining the word maybe, but maybe there's a beacon of hope. You know, we had a, a sweep of all elected offices in our state. We got a governorship and uh, three congressional races. Uh, and uh, two Senate races that are all in Democratic hands now. Perhaps most importantly, we got a new land commissioner, and the land commissioner we got, Stephanie Garcia Richards, ran on a platform of respecting wildlife, um, supporting uh, wolves in the wild, and and, uh, strongly opposed to trapping. And so all of a sudden we have an opportunity here 
where we're going to get a new land, we're going to get a new game commission that's going to be appointed by a democratic leader and we've got a land commissioner who in contrast to what we've had in our state for many years who's just been a voice piece for the oil and gas industry is now somebody that is going to be supportive of protections for wildlife so it'll be an interesting experiment to see how it pans out but if I had to look at a western state where there's an opportunity, I would have to say it's New Mexico. Um, and, and it's also a chance that we may be greatly disappointed. But I think the people in positions are there that could give wildlife the greatest support. And that means wolves at the end of the day. And unfortunately, in a lot of western states, we just don't see that level of support. We see too many groups within the state that are they're not supporting the full protection of wolves. And I've said this before, and I go back to it. The biggest disappointment can, continues to be the conflict within the conservation community about how to handle wolf recovery. And there's just so much infighting in the conservation community over this issue. And there's way too many groups that are willing to stand up and put a cup out and ask for your support and your dollars who are really not doing the right thing for wolf recovery. So, as you can see, based on our conversation, there's so many elements to this. There's the political dynamic, there's the cultural dynamic, and then there's the conservation dynamic. All of them are fused together. And the problem is we just don't have enough people saying the right things in coordination to make the change necessary. And part of that has been not organizing within the, the urban communities in our rural western states. Let me back up a second. You had said um, uh, anti-traffic. Do you mean wildlife trafficking? No, no, I was saying uh, anti-trapping. Oh, trapping, okay. So we have a land commissioner opposed to trapping. And, you know, we've had a lot of push in our state over the last few years to stop trapping in New Mexico. And, um, you know, it's kind of coming to a head. And I think you'll see some legislative pieces on that front. And all of that can only help wolf recovery in the long run. When we stop these barbaristic tendencies um, and we move forward in a more progressive way, understanding wildlife. And I think the big, the big burden, the one that will really dictate the future is when we stop trying to manage wildlife and manage people more correctly and allow wildlife to do their own job. Well, you, you, know, you know I'm 100% in agreement with that. You know, whenever I hear the terms, what, the term wildlife management, you can be sure it is something that is going to be done to wildlife to um, benefit us better. There's, I mean, it's just, it, it, it is absolutely led to destruction. And we, we've got to mature as a, as a society. I mean, I, we, we see all these moves that we're, 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 we're becoming a more modern society, we're evolving more, we have more progression as it, term, as it comes to civil rights, to women's rights, uh, to gay and lesbian rights. So you see a chart of progression, yet that chart of progression for wildlife is lagging far behind, and we're seeing it in the destruction of wildlife in Africa, Asia, different countries, and in our country, with the absolute just firewall about not letting wolves be in the wild <clears throat> that's been set up um, and and I think that we have to allow progressive 
thinking to percolate down into how we deal with wildlife. And there's certainly people out there trying, <clears throat> but we have to, we really have to move people away from a 19th century mentality. Wildlife is not a possession. Wildlife is a free spirit that we have a responsibility to allow to live to its fullest. And it's also a, a critical part and we're, when we're talking about biodiversity and ecosystems and the recent IPCC climate report, um, that wildlife is, as I've often said, you know, the architects of our landscapes. And in the West, we, we still have a lot of wide open spaces, a lot of public lands, a lot of federal lands that are multi-use and are managed, you know, federally from natural, national forests to Bureau of Land Management to um, national parks to wildlife refuges. So our government does play a big part in these. And I think this is a question. So with your the Democratic um, vote sweep in New Mexico and still – I'm sorry – Going back to the Washington uh, wolf kill, do you think maybe this is a way for a Democrat to bring people of the ranching community and the wildlife community at least to the same table to begin talking about wolf restoration? Give a little, take a little, and perhaps get to a point where we can move forward? Well, I think that's a that's a that's a wishful goal, okay. and I'd like to see something like that uh, occur. I think that you know my experience working with the ranching community in this state is they are they are not willing to allow the wolf conversation to be part of it. I mean, I think we've seen this across the West. The, the ranching community all got the same memo: it is say no to all of it, and uh, and then you see. The, 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 the absolute almost bizarre power that this one rancher has been able to get away with in Washington State. And you have to ask yourself, how is this one man getting away with so much destruction of wolves? Um, you know, for him, it's a, it seems like a vendetta. Um, and for whatever reason, despite huge public outcries, he continues to get away with it. Um, I think in our state, maybe what we'll have a model for and, and this is where I see the positive of a democratic sweep is I think we're going to see some progressive bills on wilderness uh, expansion in our state. I think we're going to see some progressive regulatory moves on the oil and gas industry. And I think that in terms of wildlife, um, I think we will see uh, the opening of some deeper conversations. That's where I see things like trapping um, and other things uh, along those lines. Will wolves be a part of that conversation? That will be an interesting thing to see. Um, I, I think this, we will finally get a game and fish commission that will not be 100% opposed to wolf reintroduction. And so on that level, it's going to be very positive. Well, that's, that's good news. So let's zoom out a little. With this recent election, and, you know, some things were very close, and we're very aware that the GOP is very anti-environment, very pro-oil and gas, coal, extractive, um, exploitative uses on 
our land. So do you think with this Democratic House that we've got now that some of the Trump administration uh, attacks on the ESA, the EPA, and um, clean air, clean water, do you think we're going to get a little check and balance in place on some of this? Well, I think what we'll get is a check. I'm not sure about balance. I think we'll get a check of stopping some of the most egregious moves that they're going to try to make. Um, And I think Democrats would be wise to introduce powerful legislation, even if they know it can't pass. And I've said this before, Republicans made a, a big push when they were not in power to introduce legislation that they knew wouldn't pass, but put it down as a marker. And I've talked to Senator Heinrich about this, and I've said, you need to come up with a very powerful vision for the environment moving forward. And you need to introduce the legislation, whether it passes or not. We need to have a marker, and we need to have something that's a, what I would describe as a hopeful beacon for people. And, you know, that should include very strong controls about uh, what we're doing with climate change. It should be talking about carbon taxes. It should be talking about great expansion of wilderness and wildlife habitat in the West. Why not talk about creating several new national parks in areas that don't even have anything that resembles a park? I mean, we need to be bold. We need to be thinking in a very forward-thinking way. We need to be thinking about what more we can do for wildlife across the board, wolves in particular. Um, And so, you know, I think there's any number of things that need to be put out there. But I also think this, and this is where I think the coordination is so important uh, of the conservation community. You know, one of the most effective things that the Republican Party has done over the years is to put together these think tanks where they have put think tanks together to work on issues and to demagogue uh, Democrats on a variety of issues. I mean, how long has it been that we've heard the word liberal is a bad word? I mean, it's become such a poisonous word. Yet they get away with the word conservative without nearly the level of poison attached to it. Um, It's an example um, and, you know, they've been able to badmouth a variety of things that Democrats have done. So, you know, we need our own think tank where we're being able to put out the positive spin on why it is so important to have uh, regulation on climate change. I mean, climate change is another great example. I mean, I can remember 20 years ago when I started hearing Republicans were kind of opposing climate change. I thought, how could anybody oppose this? We, I mean, we, we know it's happening. Science is there. It's very obvious what's going on. And yet they, they demagogue the issue for so long that they've gotten a great response from a lot of Americans who are sitting here saying, I don't believe it. And I think more to the point, and this is on the point of some of what you were saying about the world as a whole, it's also opened up in people a sense of, well, then I'm going to get whatever I can get, as opposed to How can we work together to solve this problem? I think in some people, there's a sense that, yes, there is a real problem here. But rather than trying to find a solution, there's a large group of people, and I think this could be worldwide, who are simply saying, well, if that's the case, I'm going to get all I can get in the time that's left. That seems that seems to be exactly what's going on. Let's just eat up the buffet while it's still here, and then we'll deal with the consequences when the quote-unquote event collapse is over. 
Yeah, and this plays into the, again, into this narrative of freedom, this so-called ideal that we can do whatever we want, free of regulation, and uh, as long as we believe in the power of our country or maybe people believe in the power of their countries, uh, then that gives us liberty to destroy and to, to take every last grain off the table. It's, it's, a, it's a real contrast to the way I remember things in, in the 50s and 60s where there was a real sense of we want to create something um, for the future and we want to hand off things better than the way we received them. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've said that so many times. We had this figured out in the 60s. We knew we needed to protect the habitat and we knew species would survive as long as they had a place to live. And then over these last 50 years, you know, we went down uh, specific rabbit holes of species survival plans and learned so much so much about individual species and in the last let's say decades with technology we've been able to learn even so much more about specifics of each species and drilling down of what they need and then along comes the IPCC report that you know if we continue along this path we're going to have a global genocide and an environment that is completely unprecedented, unknown to anything in our human world um, it, by 2012. I think that also, you know, shows us also why people are gravitating to the likes of Trump, to to the the new newly elected president of Brazil, etc. It's almost a mindset that says we're going down, so we're going to get all we can now. And, you know, the first words out of his mouth are we're going to farm and we're going to mine areas in the Amazon that have been off limits. You know, this is when you start seeing things like that going on, that is genocide of the planet. And, and, And really, ultimately, this is what The Hague will have to deal with is these kind of leaders who are, who are committing genocide. I mean, it, it sounds far-fetched, but it isn't. Uh, we have leaders like this that are willing to destroy that much habitat, to destroy that much life on Earth. Uh, they need to be held accountable. Well, one thing, you know, we know and you know, through a conversation I had with uh, Chris Searles and his company and organization, Biointegrity, if we can retain and maintain these intact ecosystems like the rainforests because of their integrity to the biosphere, you know, if we start cutting them apart, we're, we're breaking down that integrity, which supports not only biodiversity in situ, but the biodiversity of our biosphere, Earth. So how do we call this to account now before we let, you know, Brazil or Ecuador sell off their forests to provide China with cheap wood to build furniture for the U.S.? Well, part of it is you don't become an isolationist country like this president has made our country. You have to be, first of all, an example to the free world. And when he comes around and says, we're going to open up all our public lands and we're going to ignore climate change, well, he's just handed the keys to every other leader who had to at least try to pretend to care about the environment 
or who had to follow a protocol because they realized the most powerful country in the world had a protocol. When you throw the protocol out, you open the door. Um, and, and when he refuses to be involved in climate talks or he doesn't want to be involved in international relations, he is opening the door to China and other countries to exploit resources. They are not going to have the same, although, I, frankly, they're doing a better job in many ways than we are right now. Um, but How so? Well, I think there's at least an effort to get around climate change. I mean, they have a population and a, and a modernization that's unparalleled. Um, you know, I'm not thrilled with what they're doing, but I, I you know, I, I look at it and say they are trying to try. They, they spend money on infrastructure. They spend money on solar. They spend money, unfortunately, on coal-fired power plants. But they are attempting to do something where we seem to be sitting around stagnant, attempting nothing. Let, let, let's let's take this to another sort of um, peevish point. So China is doing great within China, but oh, you know let's 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 talk about their billions of dollars of wanting to invest in Africa or in Ecuador. Call it investment. Call it business. But to take the resources from elsewhere. And sort of like in one country, manage them all, but at, at the cost of everything else. No, I agree with you completely. I mean, it's heartbreaking. And again, it just shows me the decline of our influence in countries where we've just opened the door for that kind of thing to happen. And, I, it, and it shows you that China will go to any length. You know, it was interesting just seeing their, their, their sort of stand on Antarctica last week where they were saying, you know, we're going to open up a station down there and we want to have more of a presence there. And it was China and Russia that were blocking the idea of an international peace park down there. Um, no, there's no resources countries like that won't go out and try to, to take in. That's where an environmental ethic is so important from what is currently the leader of the free world. And we're not giving it. And so we've opened the door for these countries to go in and exploit the resources of the world. You're absolutely right. I didn't mean to come off that way and saying no, I mean, it, they're it, a model. It's fair. I mean, in some ways, China is a model. In some ways, Japan is a model. But then you look at their air quality and you look at, well, their governments, and you realize it's it's a very mixed message, especially when – they're gathering resources from everywhere else on the planet to provide this model within their own confines. So this, you know, course, is, this course, isn't an episode to really slam on China, but it is highlighting that we have some serious decisions to make. Um, right now, we do need to step away to a break, and this is a fascinating conversation, so stick with us, and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. 
Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to Our Wild World. And welcome back. This is Ellie Weiss and my guest, Stephen Capra. And we had a lively discussion uh, on our first section uh, between what's going on with the wolves in Washington to what's going on in uh, New Mexico, where Stephen is. And uh, that took us to a much broader scope of what's going on in the world and our whole idea of we need to regain an ethic of land stewardship. So even with Within this topic, there is a lot of uh, mix-up of what's going on. We see advertisement every five minutes for cars. They're gonna, if you buy that car, you're going to be able to go wild and enjoy the wilderness. Or if you're going to do this sport or this zip line at some you know, ski mountain, then you've got this whole way to quote-unquote, enjoy nature and everything into selling vitamins, that it's going to get you nature and you're going to be happy out there. This is a confusion of recreation and nature versus entertainment. And it seems we have turned being in nature and appreciating nature into something that must entertain us, that we always must be doing, using nature to provide an activity for us rather than just sitting out there and absorbing what nature is. None of these activities really put you into, put you into the mindset of being in nature. You're just outside. Well, <laughs> you know, it's a great topic and it's an interesting situation. And I have to tell you, um, 
I've spent a lot of time thinking about this because what I see more and more is this. And a great example would be sort of the decline of backpacking in America. You know, for a long time, a lot of people wanted to go out and backpack and get out into our wilderness areas and really experience nature. And it seemed like that was what we were uh, what we were experiencing for for a period of time. And like everything, things evolve. And um, but things have gotten into what I would describe as a frenetic pace. It's not enough to be in nature anymore. Mountain biking has come in, and, and, and young men and women want to get out there and ride hard and fall. And it, it's, a, it's kind of a contact sport being in nature, but it does allow them to be outdoors. But a lot of that is being outdoors at 30 miles an hour as you're racing. Extreme. Down. Yeah. And, and, and then I see more and more people who are going out into the wilderness with headphones on, listening to music, or setting up a campsite that has... Uh, any variety of musical elements to it, um, and it's 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 like people cannot have quiet. Uh, quiet is the is sort of the thing that people are working to avoid. And then there's any number of companies out there that are trying to make your outdoor experience like being at home. And so right. there's all these products that are being pumped out all the time. Uh, that are encouraging people to do things like watch movies in the backcountry, um, watch this, do that. And, and I guess, you know, my, what I've found to be hopeful in a way has been women in the backcountry uh, as of late. I see a lot of younger women saying, I want to get, you know, I'm going out with my girlfriends and we're going backpacking. I've seen much more of that than I've seen young men wanting to get outdoors and go backpacking. And, um, they seem to want to go out to, to get out together in the wild uh, to talk. I haven't seen as much effort to have it turn into like a big video production or uh, a, a dance-a-rama. And uh, I, that, that at least gives me hope. And I guess I would say, you know, the fast pace of our country, uh, what's happening with video games and everything else, it, it's like people are on a, a – it's like electric shock all the time. Yeah, and so, yeah. so when they get out into the wilderness, I think for a lot of people, they're confused. They don't really know what to do. So they, 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 they have all these things that they can fill their time with as opposed to listening. And one of the things I, I always experienced in nature was, especially in long backpacks, was it always took a day or so to disconnect from my urban setting. And what I think a lot of people are afraid to do is to allow that disconnection. And so they've got these mountain bikes, they've got other things that are allowing them to do all kinds of hyper-intensive sports. Climbing has gotten very big where, you know, it's, it's like a, a constant moving and competitive thing. And it's like a lot of people aren't understanding that if you just get out in nature, if you allow yourself to quiet down, and that takes some, t- some doing, then you begin to get so much back in return. There is so much return that comes from you because nature, by design, is a healing environment. It's a, it's a positive environment. And allowing yourself the quiet to connect with wildlife and things of that nature is so powerful. And, you know, fewer and fewer people are allowing themselves to have that experience. And, and, and not have to feel they have to record it for Facebook or right. get a selfie. I mean, that's the issue we have here in my area, you know, we're smack dab in the 
middle of the Aspen Snowmass Wilderness Area, White River National Forest, and BLM land. We have a lot of bears, and we have a lot of wildlife, and we have a lot of extreme sports people that want to get out there. What they fail to realize is once you're a mile or two outside the, the, the 16 square blocks of town center, there is no Wi-Fi. There is no um, internet. You you are dependent upon yourself. And either A, they go out ill-prepared, or they go out thinking they can do what they saw on Facebook without necessarily being skilled. And then you end up with the town um, carrying the burden of either having to rescue them or having to uh, inform their family that they've just lost a family member because they were not prepared to be out there. They take it for granted that it's what they're going to see, what it, that it's going to be the experience they see, sort of um, uh, bullseyed on TV. Well, we've got a little bit of hero worship that goes on with Facebook, and we see people. I, I notice, especially younger people, get very serious about how they look when they're outdoors. Uh, how they photograph themselves in nature, um, and it's uh, it's a sense of I'm cool, and it's like it's not a sense of reverence and respect. It's more of a sense of I me, me, me. Yeah, and 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 so again, you know, this this comes down to sort of a moral quagmire that we find ourselves in. You know, we don't have the morality set straight about. The experience of being in nature. We 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 had it. We had great writers that really let us feel it and 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 really gave us a sense. It was like scripture in a way. You would read some of these writers; they would give you a sense of what it was to be in nature, and the importance of it, and the reverence that came with it. And today, we have a lot of people just talking about you know the new gear and and getting out there and. Obviously, we have a new set of heroes that are younger, more free-spirited, and have a different perspective on what it is to be in nature. And we even see it in the backpacking community where we have people now that, you know, it, it's not enough to, to hike, say, from Mexico to Canada. They want to do it in, you know, 100 days, and they want to do it running through the whole place. And so, again, how much connection are you getting when you're running 12 hours a day through wilderness and, and you know, you're, you're maybe running even further or walking further, trying to get from point A to point B in the fastest amount of time possible. I mean, I understand that you're going to get an experience as the adrenaline and the whole force of going at that pace, but what are you seeing? Are you I, think that, I think maybe that has a lot to do with our programming today. You know, the, the kinds of films we're seeing, it, the whole tribal mentality us and them and that every instant of your life has it's like watching uh the rock in san andreas that movie it never stops every second is another cliffhanger and without this extreme risk at every turn then what is there if i don't have a moment to post on social media then what's the point yeah, I see that, and I see this, This, you know, I've talked to several younger friends of mine who are avid mountain bikers, and, you know, one of whom has been injured so many times, and I said to him, I said, you know, you're going to get older, and there's going to be a lot of pain associated with that, 
And he says, oh, it's just a rush. I got to get out there. It's such a rush. I've got to experience it. And I said, you know, when you're out there, are you really taking in your environment? And he's, oh, yeah, I take it in. But, you know, we're going to do these turns and we're going to run down the hill. And so, again, some people might argue just getting out of nature is good no matter how you do it. I would say that that's debatable in my mind um, because nature's not a skateboard park. Yeah, I, I definitely say that's debatable. I mean, I I had a wonderful conversation with Michael Soule, and the whole point was this very topic, and it was called possibilism, and that we need to learn how to be quiet in nature. And I, I see this whether I'm on safari or whether it's a Facebook post or somebody seeing a bear or somebody backpacking. It, the chatter never stops. Well, and that's that's the point. I mean, I, you know, I think back to most of my backpacking, and I've never had a radio or music with me. Um, I haven't sent text to anybody. Um, the experience is getting out there, enjoying the quiet, the solitude, and the more days of that, the more in tune you become with that experience. And I, unfortunately, a lot of young people, I think, are missing that experience. I think some are getting that experience. There's a renaissance, I hope, I, that I see. Um, I think you, you could go into an REI store, and they're still selling plenty of backpacks. So somebody's getting out there. Um, and Do you think maybe it's a difficulty these days of in, internalizing and talking to yourself about what's important that there's so much uh, going on in in terms of the visuals that we're constantly being bombarded with something that it's difficult for young people to actually turn inward and ask these questions and think it through in the silence of nature. Well, I think that young people have a lot of challenges um, that we didn't have. Um, you know, they're, they're facing a world that has a lot of uncertainty. They, they see a climate that's very uncertain. Um, and I think that, you know, let's just take, if, if you sit down and watch the news, we can't sit and watch the news without breaking news, you know, 20 times in, in an evening, uh, breaking this, breaking that. So everything is starting to infiltrate our mind like there has to be change constantly, constantly, constantly. And young people are doing that. They're bombarded with social media, and they're engaged in it at a level that I think most people wouldn't. They're older, can't really phantom. And so for them, there has to be, I would imagine, it's like the tide's coming in. There's a constant change and ebb and flow. And so for them, it's got to be even harder to sit still, even harder to tune out all the noise. But you make a really good point because... I was just thinking what you're saying, for those of us who do love to just sit and be quiet, this constant breaking news has kind of created an AADD for all of us that it's, it's, I find it difficult to like turn it off and just enjoy the moment, stare out the window or go sit on my deck and watch the river because there's this tension always that something is going to happen that is going to be really bad. Right. It's going to be really bad or something that you really need to see, you need to be informed of. I mean, it's, you know, we're all there out there waiting for the person to be hung at the execution. And it's, it's just, it's morbid. 
Um, and it, it's amazing how powerful it is. Um, and it's it, 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 and this is part of the sort of media control of our minds moving forward. And again, I think it makes all of this much more difficult. I, I think back to as a young man wanting to go backpacking and we had, you know, news on three stations and that was it. And it was a half hour or an hour in the evening. And so things we, have changed. Yeah, we were left with a whole lot more, I don't, for lack of a better word at the moment, free time. Time to do with ourselves a whole lot of other things. Well, time to have imagination. And yeah. imagination allowed us to go into the woods where it was just an extension of imagination in that we were out there to experience something in nature. And, and that was expanding our own sense of imagination. And we weren't raised in front of a television. No. So, I mean, it's a different world. And so the question really is, how do we get these kids to a different spot where they can go out and experience it? And when I say that, I mean, how can we get more than 2% of the kids in our country to get out with a backpack on and get out and experience it? And part of that is, um, I think, education, number one. And part of it is creating a movement that says, turn it off. And, you know, forcing people to get away from the computer, from the games, and, and all of those things, and allowing their mind to be open and expansive to imagination. And, and not to, be terrified of it. Right. Not be not, terrified of silence and you know, a, a blank moment. Or a dark, star-filled sky. Yeah. Uh, where you don't know 100% what's around you. But you have to have the strength and the confidence to allow yourself to experience it. Yeah, good point. Good point. So what do you think we can do in these kind of crazy times, not just in this country? You know, we we see a lot of other countries that uh, respond very differently and still have this outdoor ethic. So what? What is it you think we can do in our education field, in our politics, to rally young people to regain this ethic, this concept of stewardship, of taking care of each other and taking care of our our world? Well, I think with young people, they're not interested in trying to find mitigated points of reason. They're looking for bold leadership. I mean, anybody who's young is going to be insp- wants inspiration. Frankly, at my age, I want inspiration. True. And so I Same think here. That, yeah. So I, I think that the mistake that we make is when we try to do these regulatory, slow motion, uh, put me to bed kind of actions. I think we need bold leadership. And I think we need to have bold stands on issues that will inspire young people to want to be engaged. So So, let's let's break this down a little bit more. How do we inspire our young people to be these bold people? Because there is a lot of information, writings, and, you know, even writings now of many people, especially in the West, of trying to bring back this ethic of, of, of the land, of living with the land, and that it doesn't have to be a constant attack on it. How do we bring, you know, this, this vibration into the young mind to say they can be this? Well, first of all, they have to experience it. Okay. And so they have to get out and they have to experience it. When you experience it, you have a reason to fight for it. 
And when you're not being exposed to it, it means nothing. You don't really understand it. It's something that, you know, a family in the East decides they'll come out West once when the kids are 12 years old. Uh, They can say, we went to the parks, we did it, it was fun. You know, it has to be more than that for people. Um, It has to, people have to understand that this is part of living, this is part of our future. And I think that uh, from a political standpoint, we just cannot have politicians on, in either party that are willing to sit by idly and let these things occur. I'm tired of listening to politicians forever go on about multiple use on our public lands. You hear the president in what he just said uh, with the fires in California. Oh, it's the management problem. Code words for we need to cut more timber. So, you know, this has to stop. And Democrats need not be afraid. They need to be emboldened and they need to say, here's our agenda moving forward. And, yeah, there's going to be a health care agenda. And, yeah, there's going to be uh, an agenda for veterans. But there needs to be a serious agenda for the environment. And it needs to be, a, a, you know, a 15-point plan that goes deep in the weeds to, to some extent. That has to say more land protected. That says wolves will be left to be, you know, wildlife needs to be self-regulated. That needs to say we are going to put a carbon tax on things and we are going to rein in what's going on with the oil and gas industry. You know, we can't sit by. And I think that's what people want to see. People want to be led and they want powerful leaders to lead them. And those leaders are teachers in the classroom. Those leaders are local elected officials. Those leaders are scientists. Those leaders are a variety of people that make a difference. It could be your Boy Scout leader, your Girl Scout leader. These are all people that are going to have influence. And last but not least is the voices of young people. They are their own leaders. And they need to be part of the conversation every step of the way. And, you know, that is what we need to be doing more of. And we need to stop allowing these think tanks that represent the oil and gas industry, the mining industry, all the extractive industries to poison our television with commercials, to poison the airwaves, and to listen to politicians speaking their talking points. They need to be called out and they need to be stopped. And I hope that, you know, the litigation moves forward against the oil industry uh, for what they do about climate change. This industry has to be brought to a close. And a big part of that, don't you think, is our media. I mean, don't we sort of have to turn away from focusing on the outlandishness of whether it's Trump or someone else all the time and just constantly regurgitating that and bring other news to the fore. I haven't seen really more than a two-minute at most report on the the in, uh, the IPCC report of the disastrous place we're headed in, in climate change. Where do we put pressure to get more of this programming and get our media to pay attention. I notice they've stepped up a bit since this last election here to cover a bit more and and are emboldened. But the things like the fires, um, when we had them here this past summer and the ones that are continuously devastating California and elsewhere, they need more mainstream 
media attention. Well, I think that everybody understands we're seeing this in real time happening. Climate change is happening in real time. And again, it goes back to our earlier conversation. We still have these core groups that want to get everything out of the planet they can, despite what's occurring. The leaders of that are the oil and gas industry and others. And we have elected officials who are continuing to sing their song. And you're right. The media is so overwhelmed covering this president who is completely shown a disregard for anything that has value in society um, that we, we are 24 hours a day focused on his next words. And I think for a lot of people, there's a bunker mentality. People are hunkering down saying, I just got to get through this. It's, it's mentally taxing for people. That's why people have to have hope. And that's why we need to come up with very strong proposals that are going to give people that hope. And we're going to have to start really pushing back. Um, Look, cigarette smoking was the norm in the 60s. And we've now made cigarette smoking something that most people turn away from. And you can't do it in many, many places. That has to be what we do to big oil. It has to become the cigarette smoking of of our future, that you don't want to be any part of it. And that if you are, it's sort of a a scarlet letter on you in society. And and that's where we have to head. We can't allow this to continue or we will lose. And and so these are times for tough action. These are times for real leadership. And these are times for anything that we do that must be bold. It has to be bold. We cannot sit back anymore and try to sit out and mitigate these things. We, we're fighting for, not only for our future, we're fighting for our lives. You know, we're fighting for the life of the wildlife. And that brings me to mention um, your conservation organization, boldvisions.org. Uh, so, Stephen, you have a great website. Uh, listeners, I would strongly urge you to go take a look at it because there is so much we can get involved in. And I'm hoping that you're realizing as a result of this conversation today, there's any number of ways for young people and folks of my and Stephen's generation to regain a foothold and be bold, as Stephen said, because there's no time like the present and with the way we're going, we need a different future. So the the track we're on, we already know where it's going. So there's things we cannot avoid. It's gotten to that point beyond tipping points. Uh, we're going to be facing cascades of consequences, but there are things we can do. And uh, getting out there and just being quiet, taking a walk, even if it's around your urban block, take a walk, go to the park, and then go a bit further is critical to understanding what we need to put forth to turn this direction around. So, uh, Stephen, we've got just like maybe a minute or two left. Uh, Give us your takeaway for the day. Well, my takeaway for the day is, uh, as depressing as a lot of the news is, I I still have a very strong hope in the youth of our country. Um, I, I think that they can make the difference. I think we've seen that with the way the youth responded to some of the shootings in Florida, et cetera. We need to get some of these people elevated into positions of power in our country, and we need to have their voice have a lot more 
uh, weight in decision making. You know, it's, it's time to pass the torch because there is life after Trump. You yeah, know, th- I, things are nuts right now, but it is this next generation, these next generations coming up that are going to be the next in line for the vision. They're the future. They're the voice that's going to make a difference. We need to get them outdoors. We need to get them to understand the power of wolves. We need to get them to become the voice of that future because they are inheriting it. And if I were them, I'd be damn mad given the consequences of what we've done to that future for them. Damn mad, but take action rather than, you know, curl up and crawl inside and say, oh, there's nothing to be done. Because there is a lot to be done. And we have a saying, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. That's right. And the tough get louder. (laughs) I like that. And we get bolder. So thank you, Stephen. This was a great conversation. Thank you. Pleasure to be on. And we'll talk to you some more again soon. And meanwhile, folks, step out into our wild world. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now.